Stanford University. For coming out on a nice day to eat your lunch in this kind of um, stuffy room instead of sitting outside to hear what I have to say about undergraduate research. And uh, I, I, in deciding what to talk about here, I kind of looked at the many you know, terrific talks that had been given over a number of years in this series and realized I didn't think I could possibly add to what's already been said about teaching in the classroom and, and uh, other aspects of uh, coursework. So I thought I would talk about something a little bit different, which um, is also a very important part of the undergraduate research, uh, sorry, undergraduate experience here at Stanford, which is research, and give you my uh, kind of uh, tidbits that I've learned in, in the experience over those uh, almost two decades of, of mentoring undergraduates in research. So the title here is Friend or Foe. What I hope to impart is the guidelines that I follow to try to make it more friend uh, than foe for the students. So I want to start off just with you know kind of the definition of undergraduate research. And I was sort of searching around. And you have to keep in mind, I'm, I'm going to try to keep my remarks general, but I am coming at this from the perspective of a sort of science and engineering uh, discipline. So that's where I found these kind of definitions. This one is particularly nice. Basically, undergraduate research is an inquiry or investigation conducted by an undergraduate that makes an original, intellectual, or creative contribution to the discipline. Now, that, that's a pretty high aspiration um, that uh, sort of defines it very broadly, that the, the work should really be original work um, contributing to the discipline. Um, there's also kind of a more practical definition uh, shown here, which is that the undergraduate level research is self-directed work under the guidance and supervision of a mentor or advisor who's usually a university professor. So this is probably what many of us think of when we think of undergraduate uh, research here at Stanford. So I want to start by debunking this idea that some people have, which is that all we have to do is just give an undergraduate student a place in our laboratory, a, a spot, um, and say, you know, have at it. We do great research. You know, hope you can find your way. Uh, and that just merely by associating with a research group, uh, of which we have many wonderful, wonderful research groups here at Stanford, the student will be successful and, and get some uh, positive research experience. So there are some students who can be successful in that model. Um, and, and Stanford has, has, has some of those here. But not every student is going to be able to thrive in that kind of you know, drop them in, sink or swim environment. So what I want to address is what we can do as, as faculty mentors to make this uh, a better research experience for all of the undergraduates that might choose to take place in that, take part in that. So I put up here my credentials. Why should you listen to me tell you about uh, undergraduate research. And I want to just say that I really don't have any credentials other than my own experience. So there are people who study this. I'm not one of those people. Uh, there have been analyses and there are books out there and, and guides on um, facilitating undergraduate research. That's not really where this is coming from. What I'm going to tell you about is really just based on my own experience, based on these credentials here. So a lot of it comes from my own experience doing undergraduate research. Uh, I did undergraduate research for three years at Berkeley, and I'm going to come back and tell you more detail about that. I've been a faculty member for 15 years, first at NYU and uh, for the last more than 10 years here at Stanford in science and engineering. And 
when I was looking back through all the students who've been in my group and preparing for what I wanted to say today, I was really surprised to find that I've actually mentored more undergraduates in research than graduate students, despite the fact that I have you know, a group of about 10 or 12 graduate students and just a handful of undergraduates at any given time. Uh, but I've actually been involved with uh, research with more undergraduates than graduates. So I have some experience in this. So it's important to think about who we're talking about here in terms of the undergraduates who are doing research. And I, I sort of thought about and spoke with a number of undergraduates to come up with a list of why undergraduates choose to do research. So one possibility is they just want to build their resume. They want to apply to medical school or graduate school or law school or whatever it is, get a job. Um, so they want it to go on their resume. Sometimes it's just the idea that you know, this is Stanford. Lots of students are doing research. And hey, maybe they should do it too, because all their friends are doing research in some laboratory. Uh, many students, or most students, are really, really aware that they're here at a, a top-rated research institution. In fact, it's used often in recruiting undergraduates to come to Stanford. So there's this idea of, you know, I'm at a research university that it's known for research as well as teaching, and I should take advantage of that. Sometimes it's more mundane, I need to make money, um, or I have nothing to do over the summer and I don't want to go home and spend the summer back with my parents, so I want to do research here at Stanford. Uh, sometimes uh, faculty or TAs will encourage a student uh, to join their research group, and so they've been you know, personally uh, invited to do research. Often students use it as a way to figure out if they want to major in a particular area. It's a way to learn more about the discipline. and kind of along those same lines, it's a way of learning how their major can be applied outside the classroom. So another way they can do this is, of course, to do some sort of internship if they're in the sciences or engineering or other fields. But it's a good way to see about uh, how their major is used outside of what they learn in classes. Very common is to figure out for themselves that they like research enough to go to graduate school. And the one that we all faculty really hope every student's motivated by is you know, they just have this love for research and they really want to do research. So um, I've actually had in uh, my group students I'd say that have been motivated by pretty much every one of these and probably dozens more that I haven't even you know, thought of here are, are motivators. But the students are coming into this with all kinds of different reasons uh, for doing the research. Another uh, thing that we have to be aware of and sort of setting the stage here for how we can maximize or optimize the experience for the, the undergraduates is there's this idea that I think we all have as, as sort of advisors, which is the time equals satisfaction. So the more time and effort that a student's going to put into their laboratory research, the more they're going to get out of that. And to a large extent, that's true. It's true with a lot of most things. So the more time you put in, the more you learn, and the more you benefit from it. But we have to recognize that not every student can put endless hours into research. I've actually had students in some undergraduates in my group that have put so much time into the laboratory that I began to worry what was going on with their classwork. Okay, but, but not everybody can do that, nor should they do that. And we need to make sure that we can maximize the experience for every one of those students, no matter how much time they're able to put in. So I've kind of formulated these three guidelines. And then I'm going to sort of tell you what experiences have led to them, and then um, tell you in more detail what I mean by them. So the first is ownership. The second is mentorship. And the third is partnership. Okay, so these are the three things that I would encourage you, if you go on 
to uh, mentor students in research uh, or already doing so to think about. So I'm going to talk more about each of these. But ownership, what I mean by that is the student should own his or her project, or whatever that turns out to be. We really, really need to provide adequate mentorship. This has been shown in, in lots of studies. Also very true from my own experience. There has to be enough mentorship from the advisor, and I say that plural because I'm going to tell you who that advisor could be. And there needs to be partnership. And by this, what I mean is you need to consider that student a full partner in the research endeavor. Okay? They're not just somebody who's a pair of hands doing research to help fill out some you know, needed tasks. All the things that we like doing about research, we should let those undergraduates be, be a participant in. And so I'll, I'll tell you about those. So what I'm going to do is kind of talk about a few case studies which kind of lead to uh, the development of these, or led to the development of these guidelines, starting with myself. So I'm the first case study. I'm the most intimately familiar with this case study. So I'll tell you a little bit about my own undergraduate research experience. Um, I was a chemical engineering major at Berkeley. The thought of doing research had never even crossed my mind. In fact, the one thing I was sure of when I went to college is I knew whatever I ended up being, I did not want to be a scientist working in a laboratory. But uh, nevertheless, after my freshman year of chemistry, I had a TA who was a superb TA who had been the teaching assistant for the entire year. She, at the end of that year, said, you know, why don't you do research in my research group? So she sort of selected me and invited me to do research with her under her uh, mentorship with her advisor. And I thought, well, okay. You know, I didn't know what it was, really, but I thought I, I would try it. So it's actually something that I started at the beginning of my sophomore year, and I continued for three years uh, until I graduated doing research in that same group. And I want to point out that this is three years chronologically, but actually very little time if I were to add it up that was sort of equivalent research effort because I was in a very difficult major, was very focused on my classwork. And so over those three years, my courses were the first priority. And if I ever was in a crunch, the first thing to go was my stepping foot in the laboratory. So there were times where I would, you know, weeks would go by, I didn't go into the lab. But I was associated with that group and did various research projects integrated over those, those three years. So it turned out to be a, a fantastic experience for me. Um, opened my eyes to what research was, and so I sort of listed here the, the pros. Um, I got to observe what research was like in a really top-rated research group, and this was in physical chemistry. Uh, I learned a tremendous amount. I was always made to feel very included in the group. Okay, so I was never, even though I was showing up sort of intermittently, I was always made by the graduate students and the postdocs in the group to feel included in all the activities and. I really benefited from excellent mentorship by the graduate students and postdocs. And I'm still in touch, actually, with many of the students from those years in this undergraduate uh, research program. Um, and as kind of a positive from my, from my scientific career perspective, I was a co-author on two publications out of that. Um, one more thing I want to say about this. We can't all do what happened to me as an undergraduate, but during those three years, the professor, who was Yuan Li, won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. So then things got really exciting in the laboratory, and I thought, wow, research is really great. You know? So uh, it was a very exciting time, and I, I was really interested in it. But it wasn't perfect, and so I want to sort of give you kind of my experience a little bit. I often felt really confused by the material. So this was really high-level 
physical chemistry, and I was just finishing my freshman year. I was over two years away from even having my first class in the, the material that was being studied. Um, I lacked independence, and it wasn't because they wouldn't let me be independent, but I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, there, there was equipment, machines the size of you know, this space up here that had to be operated very carefully. Um, and I was really, frankly, intimidated by a lot of the research process. I'm happy to say that in my experience as a mentor, most of the students that work in my laboratory seem much better at this than I ever was. They, they seem uh, much more confident. Um, but I'm very uh, aware that this is a possibility. So what I want to say is the parts that were really the highlights of my research, where I really learned the most and felt the best about, were the parts where I took ownership of the project. And, and it didn't have to be something big. So in my case, the part that I spent a lot of time on was really just analyzing data that was extracted from these monstrous machines and fitting curves and using it to understand what was going on, where I could really work by myself on this. And I was the one who had the information on that process. Okay, so there was a part that I took ownership of. And that's really what motivates this first guideline, which is to do the same thing for our undergraduates, to really provide a project for the student that he or she can own. And what that usually means in my experience as the advisor is you have to really be willing to put the time in up front to really conceive of a project that they're going to be able to own sometime in, you know, pretty quickly not two years or three years out. So the size of what this project is that the student is going to own is going to depend on that student and his or her exact situation. And an important point, and I'm going to you know, come back to this, is the project shouldn't be busy work. It should be something that really is contributing to the research efforts of that particular group. And now this I put in, which is that the material should be at an appropriate level. So first of all, if I followed this when I was an undergraduate, I wouldn't have done research in the group. Uh, and I say maybe because I have in many cases had students, undergraduates in my group, where I've assigned to them a project which was really challenging and very ambitious. And they rose to the challenge and, and understood things very quickly. So many students don't need you to pick something that you consider is suitable for an undergraduate. You can go ahead and, you know, these are fantastic students that we have here at Stanford. You can challenge them and, and uh, many of them will rise to the occasion. But you have to, this has to be a dialogue with the students. So just some examples. I've in the past had students, uh, the part that they owned, starting from things that were really uh, relatively uh, straightforward. Early on when I was starting my research group, we were starting a new spectroscopic technique. And I had one of the undergraduates go ahead and put together um, spectroscopic signatures that we would expect to see in our experiments. And we used that table that he put together for years to come. I mean, it was actually an integral part of what we did. I've had students develop uh, equipment and software, uh, usually because I find out that they have a talent in that. Like, I have a student right now, an undergraduate, who's an electrical engineering major. And when I heard that, I said, oh, I have a great thing you know, for you. So she's. Uh, working on uh, integrating some software for an experiment that pretty much a, a number of my graduate students are going to use, but then she's going to go on to use as well in her own experiments. I've had students carry out synthesis of new molecules. Um, I've had, you know, over those 27 undergraduates, some that have really been able to come up with their own projects and really take it in directions that we weren't even doing before they started designing experiments. 
But the most common in my own experience is this last bullet point here, which is I typically have an undergraduate partner one-on-one -on -one with a graduate student. Okay, so they are working very closely with the graduate student on the project that is the sort of core PhD research of the student, the, the PhD student. But my requirement on that is the undergraduate still needs to have a unique part of that project that's theirs. Okay, nobody wants to just be you know, filling in and shadowing, and you need to do that when you're learning about the research, but you have to have some part of it, in my opinion, that, that, that's your own. And uh, you know, the student may go on to lead this project entirely. Uh, and I've certainly had that happen. So it's part of a training process. This way, and I'm going to come to this when I talk about mentorship, but they have a very close mentor, but they still have a part that they own that's theirs that could, in principle, if it worked well, lead to a publication. I mean, it's really uh, new research that this student has the opportunity to do. So in figuring out what that project is, just a few things, you have to really assess the student's skills and interests. Students come in with all kinds of talents, um, and in discussing what their background is and what their interests are, most specifically, it's, it's usually the most helpful in figuring out what they should work on. You know, these bigger projects, which I have had students be involved in, they take time. And just some kind of nuts and bolts. I have found in my experience that having undergraduates start in the sophomore year is ideal. I've had students start pretty much every year, freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. But what I like about the sophomore year is they should they like the research they're doing, and that's not always a given, they have the opportunity to continue for, for two or three years, in, or usually about two years in one research program, which is enough time to really get some good research done. Um, and the other thing I find is our undergraduates are extremely busy. So trying to start up and initiate a new project for them in the laboratory during the academic year is, is very challenging. So I find it works best, and I can't do this in every case, but if they can start initially full-time in the summer. So they really, they're through one of these summer research experiences, they're full-time. By the time the fall rolls around and they have to go back to taking classes, they've already got their project. They're, they're up and running with that. And so even if they can come in little bits of time here and there, they are able to uh, continue that because they've been able to put in uh, the full-time for several weeks at the beginning. Okay, so now we come to another kind of student anecdote. This is not myself. Uh, so it's a student who, and this could be said of many students, I think, you know, was working in a, a famous laboratory. So the professor, very well-known, very well-known research program, and expected to be part of, you know, this exciting uh, research project. But the problem was uh, she wasn't really ever signed a mentor. She didn't have a lot of time with the faculty member. Really never figured out what she was supposed to be doing. Um, and then by the end was sort of counting the minutes till that research experience was over and in fact was so uh, disappointed by it, has absolutely no interest in trying out research with anybody else. So I mean a bad research experience can blow it for forever for a student. So you do have to be conscious of optimizing that. So what I would say is there are some graduate students who can be plopped into a group and can find their project and you know, figure out, talk to people and you know, be very aggressive about that. There are sort of fewer undergraduates that are able to do that. So it's really our role to, to guide them uh, in this. So we really have to provide adequate mentorship. And I think it is important that the faculty do this. But we don't have to be the only ones mentoring the student. Because you have to keep in mind, at least in a laboratory research environment like my own, 
the student really needs to learn how to do the experiment. Unless the faculty are going to be in there showing the student, you cannot be the only mentor. So a graduate student or a postdoctoral fellow could also be a very good mentor uh, for, for a student. And a uh, few criteria, though, in selecting graduate students to work with undergraduates. First of all, they really have to have the time to devote to mentoring. You have to think about it. Some of you may be graduate students. But from the graduate student's perspective, they're trying to get their PhD. They're getting their own research done. And uh, it definitely takes time to be a good mentor. And it's just the more time you put in, the, the better job you do. So some students are really not that interested in graduate students are not that interested in doing this. And those are not the ones you should be assigning to mentor the undergraduates. You have to find the students, and there are no shortage of them, who really are interested in sharing their passion about their research with younger people. And those are the ones who you should assign to be mentoring the undergraduates. And they also need to be willing to share the research. And I find that this is sometimes an important issue because, again, this is this graduate student's PhD project. And now you're saying, because I require that the undergraduate have ownership of some part of that, that they're giving away maybe some part of what they're doing. So you have to you know, work through and make sure they, they realize they're still going to get their PhD and this is not really chipping away at uh, anything significant on what they need to do. Uh, I've actually had undergraduates be very good mentors um, in the sense that an advanced undergraduate who's been doing research in the laboratory can be an excellent mentor of other undergraduates. I've even had undergraduates mentor my graduate students and postdocs. I mean, so some of them are very, very skilled after they've been in the lab for a year or two. Uh, but I do want to say they should not be the primary mentor. We should not be just saying, oh, you guys all teach each other. But it, it is another mentor. And my feeling about mentorship is people can never have too many mentors. There's no reason they can't have you know, the faculty mentoring and the graduate student and the undergraduate. More people that are looking out for you, the better. <coughs> if we want to be able to provide adequate mentorship, um, it may actually mean limiting the number of students any one of us mentors at a given time. And I, I say this with a little bit of trepidation because I don't want to encourage faculty to say, oh, you know, I can't take students into my lab. I have too many, because we want to give the opportunity for basically any student who wants to try out research to, to have that chance. But uh, if we take on too many students, we really can't do a good job of mentoring. And I was at another institution recently talking to a faculty member who had 21 undergraduates at the same time doing research in his laboratory with only a handful of graduate students. And I, you know, I had to admire the reason he was doing that is he had had a wonderful undergraduate research experience, uh, which sort of crystallized for him his career path. And he wanted to not stop anyone from having that opportunity. But I sort of feel like he didn't have to single-handedly do that, <laughs> because there are more faculty to go around. And it's hard to believe that every one of those 21 could be you know, individually mentored. It's a level that I think you really need to do to make this a good experience for the students, for most students. One more point about mentoring is you should keep in mind that another desirable outcome from the student's perspective is that they want to gain somebody in the faculty, a supporter, a fan, who's going to know them well, be able to write recommendations, letters for them, talk to them about career paths. I mean, this is their chance to really get to know a faculty member at Stanford. So you know, in, in deciding that you're taking on a student, you have to keep in mind that you have to put in the time for that to be the case. 
Okay, so a, a sort of third uh, and last, actually, student anecdote is uh, there's another student who had uh, specific tasks, which were his own in the laboratory, so it satisfied my ownership requirement. Um, and he actually received sufficient mentoring to become competent with this task, so he knew exactly what he needed to do in the lab, so he had uh, sufficient mentorship. But it really wasn't part of the whole research project. It felt like a job. It was some uh, repetitive uh, task that needed to be done. And that is not the same as having an undergraduate research experience, in my opinion. Um, it gets the student into the lab and they get to maybe see what's going on, but that is not the ideal case. So there's always this temptation to say, oh, I have something that needs to be done. Let's take an undergraduate to, you know, to do that aspect of the research. Um, to use them as an extra pair of hands. And I sort of would encourage you not to do that, that this is, this is a chance for that student to really be part of, part of research. And that brings me to my third and last you know, uh, piece of advice and guideline, which is the partnership aspect of it. So I would ask that everybody here who does research think about what it is that you like about doing research. And it's not washing glassware, you know, analyzing data, tables of data over and over. It's the whole picture, at least for me. I like all the different aspects of doing research. So that's my view with undergraduates is it's the participation in this entire research endeavor which is part of the fun. And we need to let them be part of all of that, not just one small segment in the laboratory. So these are some of the things that I have thought of that are interesting. And, and excite me about research, talking with other people about your research. That's a big part of it. Not just, you know, hold up in a laboratory or an office somewhere doing some sort of research. Going out and talking to other people, exchanging results, attending conferences, a perfect way to do that. You get to learn about the cutting edge research going on in your discipline. Making presentations. I'm sure some students would disagree that that's a fun part of, <laughs> of doing research, but it's an important part, and, so, and it's, it's, it's a key part where you're telling people what you've learned. Um, in some cases, and this is probably you know, more true in science and engineering, interacting with industry. So a lot of us are doing research that ties in really closely with a particular problem in an industry, and getting to talk to those people in the industry that, that know what the problem is about what you're doing is, a, is an important part. Publishing, getting to publish, the work that you're doing, and also not to be underestimated is uh, being part of the social aspect of a research group. That's a big part of it. And, and the undergraduates should get to be part of all of this. So I think we need to give our undergraduates the opportunity to be full partners in the research and take advantage of as many of these research opportunities or whatever else you might add to the list that excites you about doing research as possible. And I have a few specific examples here. Um, first thing is to insist that undergraduates attend your research group meetings whenever possible. And I'm, you know, I'm giving you all kinds of advice, some of which I'm not that good about following myself all the time. But now that I put this together, I'm definitely going to follow it. I think it's really important that they attend these research group meetings. It's the only way they're going to get to see how their research project fits into the entire research endeavor of the group um, and the discipline and get to interact. And even better if they can give a presentation in a group meeting. But, but even without that, just sitting there and hearing week in, week out what's going on. That can actually be a little bit tricky at Stanford with class schedules and the undergraduates are so busy. But 
really this should be uh, a priority. Another thing is just including the undergraduate researchers in discussions of the project. So often a few people will come together to talk about you know, overlapping research interests and deciding where to go in the future. The students, the undergraduates need to be part of all those discussions. It's their project too. This is that they can be a full partner in the research. I think we as faculty need to encourage participation in research conferences. Um, it's just a wonderful experience. Sometimes the undergraduates don't even know they want to do it <laughs> until you sort of shove them along and have them go out there and present a poster or something because it's, it's work and it's one more thing. But it's a really important part of, of doing research. And you know, ultimately, we can't guarantee that every project, in fact, even most projects that the undergraduates are going to do are, are going to lead to some sort of publication. But I think we owe it to them to at least provide for them a project that could, if all went well and they stayed long enough, lead to publication. That it's really something that's new research that they're part of. So this is just a picture of a Stanford poster session, getting to talk to other people and, and making presentations. So Stanford actually runs uh, what I think is an excellent symposium on uh, undergraduate research and public service. It's a poster session that they have every fall. And it covers all the disciplines across uh, the campus. And it fills Arriaga. I, I think they're still having it this fall. Um, it's a great opportunity for our students. They should definitely be encouraged to do that. I think alumni come to it. And they get to this very well attended. And they get to talk about their research. But it doesn't have to be an undergraduate-only forum. And in fact, it, it, that shouldn't be the end goal. They should be able to, if they have enough results and they've, they've really um, pursued it long enough, present at national uh, technical research meetings or technical national uh, meetings in conferences in their discipline. Okay. So I kind of look back at what's my track record in this sort of partnership that I was talking about. And I, I feel OK about it. I, I look back to, to see. So of the uh, publications that I've uh, been a co-author on, 14 of them are also co-authored by undergraduates. That's 10 different undergraduates. Uh, that have been involved in my group that have published papers. And actually, three of these have an undergraduate as the first author. And I know this varies by discipline. But in my discipline, what that means is they did the majority of that work, and they wrote the paper. So I mean, these students, if you give them the opportunity, some of them will be able to perform at the level of top graduate students. And we shouldn't hold them back. Uh, lots of presentations at undergraduate conferences, and five of them presented at national conferences. And I've had the experience more than once of colleagues coming up to me after. Often I'm not even at these meetings saying, I had no idea that was an undergraduate student. So they're in there presenting in sessions with faculty, senior scientists, and, and grad students. And they're the only undergraduate. And it's a fantastic opportunity for those that get to that point of, of uh, research accomplishment. So to kind of follow through on this idea of the social aspect. I just wanted to show you some pictures of my group at various functions. This is actually uh, a little dinner we had after I got tenure. So these are my kids, actually, here. <laughs> but I've circled the undergraduates in the group. They were part of it. They're at the parties, too. We more recently had a party at Sky High, which is a trampoline place. Um, and these are my grads. Actually, I see Marja in the audience. Here she is. This is an undergraduate, Kristen, jumping away. This is a lunch at the faculty club, another uh, undergraduate, Greg. 
again, my, I guess my kids show up at these as often as the undergrads. And then, uh, you know, just a more recent group picture. And I don't advocate segregating the undergraduates, but somehow they sort of self-segregated to one side of that group. And there they are, but these are some of the more recent undergraduates. So they should be full partners in, in, in the whole research group, in my opinion. Okay, so just to kind of summarize these three guidelines, the ownership, mentorship, and partnership. And in the end, you know, all we can do is provide the best opportunity possible. We have to let the students take it from there, but we really do need to make sure that we do provide the best possible opportunity. So another thing I did when I was kind of looking through my history of advising, uh, mentoring undergraduates and researchers, I looked at where they have ended up, and I couldn't track down quite everybody, but this is the list of the years they were in my lab and where they are now. And yes, a number of them are actually doing research. A number of them are in PhD programs, but not all of them. They're off being successful in whatever it is that they, they wanted uh, ultimately to do. Uh, but in you know, many cases, I think if you look at these dates, you'll notice that the students did stay for a year or two in my group. And that's one of the things that you can make happen if you get them early and, and have them start as, as uh, sophomores. The last thing I want to show before I have my acknowledgement slide is uh, kind of a parting gift that I was given a few years ago from an undergraduate researcher in my group. I've cut most of this off, but I, I was actually on sabbatical, and one day I got, I was in Sweden, I got an email from this student, Albert Kyung, who was a fantastic undergraduate researcher in my group, who's now a PhD student at uh, Berkeley. And he said, you know, I'm attaching this abstract for a meeting, and I didn't look that carefully. It was for like the Hawaii tanning conference. <laughs> so didn't notice that right away, but eventually I opened this up and he had basically written effectively a thank you note in the form of an abstract in the style that my discipline writes abstracts. So he wrote, his title was the first abstract written after actually obtaining results described in the abstract, which was a little poke at what we like to do, which is, you know, assume that we're going to get more done by the time the meeting rolls around six months later. So. Um, and then the common thing is to say who's presenting, who's corresponding. And now Albert was a huge Subway sandwich eater. Every day I'd see him outside the laboratory eating a Subway sandwich. And every day he'd see me with my cup of tea. So he, he sort of put that there. So he managed to write this whole abstract in the form of sort of technical style. Um, I just left the first sentence here. Undergraduate research has many potential applications, including learning what graduate school is like, cooling down with liquid nitrogen during summer heat. And I do want to point out, he was not putting liquid nitrogen on himself. This was just, <laughs> so please don't try that at home. It was just the, the mist from it. And teaching stress and frustration management, which is an important part of any research experience, which undergrads should be part of too. So then he goes on and, you know, so, so that was a very nice uh, sort of thank you note from a, uh, an undergraduate researcher. And the final thing I want to do is just acknowledge, these are the same list of undergraduates. So I sort of dedicate this presentation to all of the undergraduates who carried out research in my lab and basically taught me what I do know about mentoring. And I thank you also for, again, for listening. I would be happy to answer any questions if there, there are any. Marja. I have a question about the situation. Um, your recommendation that undergraduates research during the summer, mm -hmm. What would you say to an undergrad in an applied field, just say something in engineering, who has the option of working in the related field or doing research? Sometimes people have 
tricky economic situations. How do you make that more palatable to them? Right. I mean, that actually comes up a lot. So, you know, if I look at the list of students, only a small fraction really followed my idealized model. Start the summer before their sophomore year, and then you know, the summer after their sophomore year. So you can't always do that. And and I think students should experience internships as well. So as much as I love the research, they need to see that side of, of their discipline as well. So uh, what has worked in the past is uh, students who have done summer research, continued in the year, and then in their second summer gone off and done an internship, and then they you know, came back to the laboratory and, and done research again during the academic year. But it, it doesn't always work that way because of individual circumstances, but it, it does work best to give them enough time to, to really learn before they start getting pulled in lots of directions with, with classes. Yes? What do you think about giving financial aid or paying undergrads to work during the year? Because uh, some undergrads are coming from, from underprivileged backgrounds and could not otherwise afford to do research because they would have to get any other job. And are there any programs at Stanford that are directed? Yeah, there are programs, and um, I've sort of separated how the students were able to do research, whether it was for credit or, or money. I mean, that's really independent of the experience, in, in my view. But uh, there are funds through the VPUE's office, Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, for research experiences that can be in the summer or also during the year. And a number of students uh, do research under work study. So if they find an advisor, that will take them on with the work study. And some faculty in uh, engineering and science pay, they have funds from their research grants to pay undergraduates. It's probably less common, but, but not unheard of for that, for that to happen. So certainly a number of students who are doing research here are getting paid for it. Yeah. You mentioned early on that the amount of time that a student spends on research really determines how much they can get out of it. And I think sometimes you have a chance to look back after doing research and saying, wow, that was really meaningful. But sometimes over the course of the process, it seems like all the time you're putting in maybe won't pay off. What, what sorts of meaningful milestones have you been able to set up in addition to publications or conferences and things um, that help students reflect on how important it is, uh, how important the work that they've been doing is? Uh, yeah, that thing about the time in is, you know, how much satisfaction they get out. That, that is not always the case, but that's sort of our kind of underlying belief here. Uh, certainly you have to have uh, milestones along the way because it's usually pretty far in before you might get to the point of a, a publication. So one of the things that I like to do with undergraduates who are doing research, even after a couple of quarters, is have them give a presentation in my research group meeting. It doesn't have to be that much. In fact, it doesn't even have to be the research they're working on. Sometimes they just talk about an article from the literature that's related. So it gives them the experience of putting it all in, in context. So you could certainly have milestones uh, like that, but I don't personally have formalized milestones unless it's required by you know whatever program they happen to be in that they, they write a report. Um, but something that's worked well for me is having them give presentations because it's, it's a comfortable, still stressful having done it myself as an undergraduate, but a, relatively comfortable situation among their friends in the laboratory and, and getting feedback on whatever a bit they've accomplished to that point. Yeah. A couple of 
something to reflect a little bit on experiences with either or versus a new project that do all the troubleshooting started up and create experience that can be frustrating versus something running well and they just jump right Yeah, in. I have rarely done the case where it's brand new with an undergraduate. Um, but for all the reasons, I mean, it would it takes a lot of time, first of all, which students don't, uh, the undergraduates generally don't have when they're taking classes, but also it usually it helps to have experience in the field to, to really be able to have that kind of breakthrough uh, project. So it's, it's far more common, at least in my own, the way I run my group, to have them be part of an existing project, but there's some part of it that they're going to do that's new, never been looked at before, we really are interested in knowing about. So I, I think uh, the problem you uh, might face if you give them something really independent, and that's another anecdote that I didn't put on here, is just the utter frustration of your project not working. <laughs> and you know, you can't really shield people from that because that happens at every level of research. But you know, it, it's more likely to happen if it's something brand new. Um, and that can be incredibly frustrating um, for anybody and also for undergraduates. So it's kind of, you can avoid that by putting them on something that's sort of functioning and then they can go off in a new direction from that. Still could be that their project doesn't work. That's always a risk. Yes? Uh, in terms of attracting faculty to doing, to inviting undergraduates to work with them, is it clear to you that overall any time you put into mentoring undergraduate researchers is more than paid back in a sense by their contributions? I was going to ask a very similar question, yeah. and I noted that uh, one-fifth of your students were able to author a paper or present at a conference. One-third did something meaningful enough to be included as a co-author. Many faculty would look at that and say, two-thirds of those students were not successful outcomes in terms of a contribution to the program I run. I think that is an unrealistic objective of well, you know, <laughs> we but, have you know, to have in everybody. In terms of selling this to other faculty, your talk was great for those yeah. who mentor and want to do it yeah. better, right. but not perhaps in recruiting other faculty oh. into this business. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I would have to say on average, there's definitely a net positive uh, for many reasons. I mean, I've had students, I've been in national meetings, even invited, giving invited talks based entirely on research that an undergraduate has done in my group. So they can be incredibly productive from a research perspective. But they also add a lot just to the group dynamic. I mean, I really like having younger students and more senior students in the group. Um, so overall, definitely a net positive, but not on each student. <laughs> so I have to say, I mean, it is a big time commitment to mentor students, and, and that's why not every faculty member does it, and that's why even those of us who do it limit the number, you know, for even beyond the providing proper mentorship. So I think you have to go into accepting an undergraduate in your group, at least in my experience, assuming it's going to be a giving. <laughs> you know, you're not necessarily going to get back any more than you're giving, and most likely you're, you're going to be sort of putting in time that's not coming back. Um, but then if, you, if that's your approach and a student is successful, which they will be if you have enough students to average it out, then there's that net positive. Well, you know, they all graduate. <laughs> it's very different from graduate students, right? So, I mean, they're graduating, whether their project works or not. So, I don't, that's never been an issue. That's never been an issue.
to. I have no, I have not ever kicked an undergraduate out of my group that I can remember. I mean, they, you, you might have to change their project and what they're doing, but as long as they're still interested, I don't find it to be, you know, the incremental cost to be that high that I would kick them out. And they are all going to be graduating within a few short years at the most. Yeah. yeah. There was a question. Okay, go ahead. With all your experience with undergraduates, I'm wondering if you have any clues about when you're now interviewing a student for joining the lab, can you, how good are you at predicting how they're going to do it? Not very good. <laughs> um, you know, the thing I generally choose on, I, I hate to turn down any undergraduates. Sure. It's not like I'm turning them down left and right, although I do occasionally have to because I have too many and I can't take any more on, but um, it's, it's really eagerness to do research. I mean, it's hard to turn down a student sitting in your office saying, I really like what you're doing and I really <laughs> want to be part of it. I mean, that's hard to turn down. So enthusiasm is probably my number one you know, uh, selection criterion. Um, I have not found that it matters at all that they've had the classes or whatever. I mean, we're, we're talking about things that they're probably not going to see even uh, some of it till their senior year. You can't wait for that. Uh, but you know, good students can pick up, they, they're not going to know everything about the discipline, but enough to really be a productive member of their research program. So I don't find that to be um, important. And, you know, even previous research experience, certainly not a necessary criterion, although some students that come in with uh, significant previous research experience tend to get started much more quickly, obviously. So, but I, I try to give everybody the opportunity if they're really interested least on my priority list is sort of the resume builder. I don't really care about what, I just want, you know, somebody to mentor me in research. I'm sending this email out to everybody in the department, those I ignore. But if somebody shows up and says, I like what you're doing, it's hard to turn them down. Yeah. yeah. I have a question about another level of teaching and mentorship, which coming back to, say, the graduate student and postdoc mentors, uh, and the prerequisites that they need to have the time to do this and a willingness to find a piece of the project. What's been your experience after that with their needs or abilities to mentor or ways in which they develop as effective mentors? Do, does this just kind of play out or have you? You mean am I in assisting them in becoming good mentors or how does it help them later yeah, on? Yeah, either, how, either how might you assist them or what have, have you seen that there are things that, that they need along that way to do that role better? I guess I've been, uh, I haven't really done that. So I, I don't. You know, other than kind of saying make sure that you do these things to help the undergraduate, I haven't really uh, assisted the graduate students formally in, in that kind of endeavor. Um, usually students who, graduate students in my group who sort of search out these mentorship opportunities are the ones that just really like working with younger people. Some of them go on to academic positions. So, I mean, it certainly is helpful and it also is, you know, it can be fun to be teaching what you know to, to somebody else. Um, and even if you don't go on and be, become a teacher later, it, it helps you share some of what you're doing and commiserating with somebody else. And so <coughs> I think students do gain from it. I don't, maybe I should think about this. I haven't really been actively giving them any guidance in that. They're usually pretty good at mentoring. I think because a lot of them have undergraduate research experience themselves and they have their own role models. They were their graduate students they had worked with. And like we all do, they're modeling their own behavior after those people. So. Yeah. I'm interested a bit 
about the catch plan too of developing a project that a, an undergraduate can take ownership of, but that is sort of finite enough they can make progress a couple hours a week mm -hmm. on it, and but it's compelling enough that the whole research group's going to care, but it's not so important <laughs> that any grad student is going to be say held up if that piece didn't get done yeah. while they're trying to teach yeah. the undergraduate. Right. And that seems to be a very tricky place yeah. to be. Can you talk about so how the, the, I would say the there? misconception of the things you said is the couple hours a week. So I mean, if the student, if the undergraduate's really only going to put in a couple hours a week, there's no way. So I, I do usually encourage the students to you know commit to at least eight hours a week, which is still not that much. Um, so you know, by ownership, it what I didn't mean to imply was this has to always be you know, the uh, cutting edge research. It could be one aspect that they own, which is part of the bigger picture. Um, but you're right in that if that's something necessary and it's not getting done, then the graduate student's getting held up because of that. And sometimes that happens, that they'll say, you know, yes, we, we thought that so-and-so was gonna be doing this, but now it's come time that I need it, so I'm just gonna do it. So that does happen. Um, but often what I do is, is something that's kind of parallel that is you know, a separate project that could branch off into something. And so, I mean, the, the most common example in my own research is we're studying a series of molecules, how they react, and, and that undergraduate will have their own molecule, you know, something that's not been studied. It's not really key to the part that the graduate student is working on, but it's a whole different type of molecule, and that could lead to a whole new direction. So that's, that's the kind of thing. But you're right, it's not uh, easy. Um, in many cases, and I certainly have failed in many, many cases to, to follow these three guidelines, but it, it is something that you should at least uh, aspire to. Yeah. So you talked about trying to give undergraduates projects that are known to have not a lot of bugs so they don't get frustrated too easily. How well do you think that that prepares them for, to anticipate what graduate student research is like, where you spend know, five or six years trying to debug right. one problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want, I, again, that's not, that's really not what I do. They run into all the same bugs <laughs> that the graduate students do. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm not trying to give them extra bugs by having them go off to some totally new direction. But absolutely, if you were to go back and ask, you know, all 27 of these students, they would tell you story after story of how their experiment didn't work what you know failed and how hard it was to get and some of them never got it to work right that's what it's like to do research so i can't protect them from that i'm, I'm just not going out of my way to give them something that's really unexplored completely they suffer through all the same setbacks as as everybody else and, and often more um, but again they're working usually very closely with a graduate student so they're learning about the troubleshooting by working with this graduate student on a project which is largely the graduate students, they have their part they own, but that they both have a vested interest in, in moving forward. Well, thank you so much, Professor Van For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.